Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jonathan Mayo and Sam Dykstra as Jim Callis is back on vacation again. He just got back from vacation. We, we had him for like one, two episodes, and he's back on vacation again. And we uh, gave him trouble about his work ethic uh, <laughs> when he was gone, and he's, he's out uh, slacking off again. That's why I took more vacation. He figured, all right, if you're going to fault me for it, I might as well live up to that billing. Yep. Uh, we have plenty to talk about uh, without Jim. We are coming up on the end of the season, single A, double A seasons over into the postseason, final week of the triple A season. And we are uh, doing a bunch of work to put together a bunch of different uh, year-end awards for the MILB Awards Show on MLB Network, which will air at 8 p.m. Eastern on October 2nd. So make sure you've got your schedule cleared to watch that. Among the awards that will be presented that evening, the Minor League Hitting and Pitching Prospects of the Year and our Prospect Team of the Year, we're going to focus on this episode of the podcast on the pitcher of the year finalists. We want to dig into those. There are uh, going to be three finalists for uh, most of the awards. There's also a breakout prospect of the year, a minor league debut of the year, home run of the year. Uh, what, else, what else am I missing? But there, there'll be three finalists for, for each of these categories. And we want to dig into the pitching prospects of the year. Uh, and then we're going to talk to, uh, perhaps the two fastest players in the minor leagues. I, I don't know. I mean, we we have how many eighty grades? Do you do you guys think we've given out uh, run tools? There Ever can't, or this year? No, this year. I mean, there can't be more than a half dozen, right? Or I was going to say five or six. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. We've got two of them on the show today, in the Cardinals, Victor Scott the second, and Tampa Bay's Chandler Simpson. These guys both nearly stole 100 bases this year, uh, 95 for Victor, 94 for Chandler. And uh, these guys, it wasn't a kind of thing where they're like, uh, wasn't really paying attention, didn't really you know, know what the other guy was doing. I mean, the, these guys are from uh, the Atlanta area. They've played together before. They go way back and they knew about this and it was a race. And to the finish, I mean, it came down to the wire. So uh, we're going to talk to them. We're also going to talk a little bit about uh, the minor league playoffs and some some very notable promotions. Wyatt Langford, Jack Leiter, Jackson Churio, Mick Abel, all getting bumped up for some higher level action and potentially some postseason action. And we'll wrap up. Well, we're going to talk a little bit about the rookie power rankings as well. I told you we have a lot to talk about and then answer a question from the mailbag. Let's get into the pitcher of the year finalists, guys. As we've been going through these various categories, I thought this was one of the more interesting ones. And I think it's one where any of the three finalists really has a claim. You could make a claim for any of the three of them. They are Cubs' Cade Horton, Padres' Robbie Snelling, and Yankees' right-hander Drew Thorpe. And Jonathan, I know you wrote a story where you kind of made the case for each of the, these three guys. So I'll start with you. Go ahead and, and make a case. I'll, I'll let you choose here who you want to make a case for first. I, uh, I will make a case for, for Drew Thorpe. I, wrote, I did write the story making case. And I am not the one who 
picked the three finalists to be to be clear. Not that anyone else deserved to be finalists, but we included all of our staff in a, in a, in a vote in trying to whittle down you know a whole bunch of pitching prospects. So uh, for me, you know Drew Thorpe, who just recently was added to our top 100. You know, interestingly enough, all three of these guys are from the 2022 draft class, and, and all three pitched across multiple levels. Thorpe started in high A, then moved up to double A. The only thing that slowed him down was a, an issue with his non-throwing shoulder. Uh, you know, otherwise he may have gotten a, you know, another start in 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 double A uh, in the Yankees system. It just the volume of his work is really what stands out. I mean, all of his numbers are really good. Uh, an ERA at around two and a half, a batting average against 200, a whip under one, didn't walk a lot of guys, struck out 11.8 per nine. He threw 139 in a third innings, uh, and that is quite a bit more than either of the other finalists. Only one other pitcher in our top 100, Quinn Priester, had more total innings, but Thorpe was much more successful. He was uh, among the leaders and all you know all minor leaguers in a host of pitching categories both the sort of standard ones and the you know the more advanced statistical measures uh, that we like to look at now and and I don't know wins and losses don't matter that much and I'm the first one to say that especially at the minor league level you you don't you don't know but I do think it says something about how deep he was able to go on a regular basis that he went 14 and 2 in, in the minor league season, I like that's hard to do, you know, especially when so many pitchers are on strict pitch counts and innings limits. You know, he was so efficient that it, that stands out a, a little bit. And for me, that helps make the case for, uh, you know, for, for Thorpe as much as anything else, even if from a pure prospect standpoint, he may not be the he's not the top pitching prospect in baseball and he never will be considered that. But when you look at that performance and the volume, uh, that's why I feel it. He's an easy guy to make a case for. How about you, Sam? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the the volume of it, like you were saying, is is the big deal for me for Thorpe. You look at what he was able to do this year. Uh, made twenty three appearances between high A and double A. Nineteen of those lasted at least five innings, and he got up to eight innings on three occasions, which is, again, just not something you hear from a guy in the minor leagues, especially from a guy just starting his career. So that was a big thing for Thorpe for me, beyond, you know, or on top of what you were already saying. I'll make the case for Robbie Snelling here next. Robbie Snelling, you know, somebody who we were pretty high on coming into the year. I wouldn't call him a breakout prospect by any means. But if you look at the numbers for what he was able to do this year, not as many innings as Drew Thorpe, 103 and two-thirds but he pitched at three levels, single A, high A, and double A uh, in his first full season. It's his age 19 season, so he's the youngest pitcher we have on this finalist list. The big thing for Snelling, and you know, ERA is not a perfect statistic anymore, but he had a 182 ERA, which was the lowest in minor league baseball among pitchers with at least 100 innings pitched. He was the only pitcher who met that standard who had an ERA below 2.2. So it's not like he had somebody on his heels. It, it was pretty far apart between him and second place, which was Tyler Stewart, a pitching prospect in the Mets system, who had a 2.20 ERA. Uh, the other numbers were pretty good. Strikeout rate of 28.4%, whip of 1.12. Not quite as sterling as what Thorpe was able to do in that way. But, you know, I know there's a big debate on the National League side this year for Cy Young Award, and people are saying, like, you just have to evaluate what they were good at. And sometimes the best thing a pitcher can do is just keep runs off the board 
Nobody was better at that than Robbie Snelling. And he earns points, like I said, for doing it across three levels, doing it so young, doing it with some pretty good pitches in his fastball and his breaking ball, uh, which are at least above average. And he continued to answer the bell at each level. He's done really good at double A. You know, he's no slouch at that level either. You know, since getting the call there, he has a 1.56 ERA in four starts, only 17 and third innings. He's not getting as deep by, as Thorpe by any means. But yeah, really special season for Robbie Snelling. Certainly a deserved finalist. We'll see where he lands uh, when we reveal the winner at the award show, but certainly a deserved finalist. All right. And the uh, third finalist for the MILB pitching prospect of the year is Cubs right-hander Kate Horton, who also pitched across three levels, low A, high A, double A. His numbers are a little different than the other two guys. Uh, Start with the ERA it's the highest of the three, 2.65. He's actually pitching tonight. Looking forward to we're recording on Tuesday. Uh, looking forward to seeing that. But 2.65 ERA, also the fewest innings pitched of the three, 88 and a third. Uh, but his other numbers right there, his whip, uh, and even one, uh, which is just a tick, or I guess two ticks above Drew Thorpe, who was 0.98, had the lowest average against, had the highest strikeouts per nine of the three and had the lowest OPS against of the three by a a fairly decent margin. He's a guy who over the course of the season, you know, he he started off was just absolutely dominant for Myrtle Beach and four starts posting a 1.26 ERA, then 11 starts at high A, got hit a little bit more, average against jumped from 157 to 203 and posted a 3.83 ERA, but then a double A has rebounded and has been sterling again. Six starts, 1.33 ERA on the season, 27 walks against 117 strikeouts. And uh, Jonathan, as, as you, you said in your, uh, your story about these three guys, didn't really know what to expect from Cade Horton coming into this year. Yeah, I mean, he, he was kind of a, a surprise as the number seven overall pick. He missed all of 2021, Tommy John surgery. Didn't pitch particularly well in 2022, which is not surprising, uh, the rust that often comes with coming back from the surgery, and then had an unbelievable postseason run that put him much firmly on the map, and he he was moving up, you know, draft boards, and a lot of people didn't know what to do because it was such a small sample size of of success, you know, and he hadn't hadn't pitched, so it was a little bit of a surprise. It's not looking like a a smart move, you know, and the one, you know, I think the only thing sort of holding him back for me a little bit is the the innings pitched, Uh, and that's through no fault of his own. It's understandable, given the lack of track record, to maybe be a little more cautious in terms of his usage, Uh, but he's at about 88 innings total. A lot of the, you know, sort of, you, know, you you went ran through a lot of the the stats, uh, but he is up there outside of earned run average, which you know Sam was saying is like you can't really look at it that much, uh, especially in the minor leagues. You know, I think if you want to look at something like expected fielding independent pitching, you know that's a maybe ex fip. Uh, you know, maybe that's a little more telling. And he was second among all pitchers with 80 or more innings in that category. Now the guy who was first was Drew Thorpe. So, you know, but he belongs in that conversation and his, his, you know, his strikeout 
walk ratios were all really, really good. That's why he's, you know, on this on this finalist list. It's just there he did so many things to dominate, you know, and to make it to, you know, across three levels in a year where I think a full healthy season would have probably been enough. And now he's on a faster track to to Wrigley Field. Yeah, I mean, you talk about that that XFIP and where he ranks being second on that list. I mean, the amount of minor league pitchers who threw 80 innings this year was 508. So he's second on a list of 508. And the big thing I look at, especially as guys are just getting career started, is how much are you not hurting yourself? You know, how much are you striking out guys? How much are you limiting walks? And Kate Horton was just really good at both. He's fourth on the list of those 508 in strikeout minus walk percentage at 25.8%. He struck out more than a third of the batters he faced. He only walked 7.7. Those were numbers that were pretty consistent across the board from single A to high A to double A. And I think it's that level of consistency and the fact that we could see the results go level to level and get better. Like you said, Jason, he was better at double A than he was at high A is how he earned his way onto this list. And you know, a big reason why I'm excited to see more out of him, hopefully getting to 120 innings next year between double A or maybe even starting out next year at triple A Iowa and knocking on the door of Chicago by, you know, the all-star break. All right. Again, a reminder that the MILB award show, the inaugural MILB award show on MLB network is October 2nd, 8 PM Eastern. I'm sure next week on next week's episode of the podcast, we'll dig into some more of these categories and uh, talk about some more of the finalists for the awards. Right now, we want to take a break before we come back and talk to a couple of speedsters, Cardinals outfield prospect Victor Scott and Tampa Bay Rays prospect Chandler Simpson. That's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jonathan Mayo and Sam Dykstra, and we are very pleased to have on today's episode two of the fastest players in the minor leagues the two minor league stolen base leaders from this year victor scott and chandler simpson simpson and guys thanks for joining us thanks for doing this together and uh i don't think it was much of a stretch to get the two of you guys on together you go you go back a ways uh so one of you uh Victor, Chandler, it doesn't matter which one. Give us a little history of of the two of you and just how far back you go. I mean, you guys were born in the same place around the same time in Atlanta, grew up in the area together. When when did you first meet each other? I guess, uh, Chad, you could take this one, man. All right, cool. So um, we've always had, like, mutual friends in high school, so – We've all I've always known of Vic and I think he's always known of me and who we who each other were. But um we officially met in twenty twenty one. We went to the Northwoods League, played with the Doc Spiders in uh Fond du Lac, Wisconsin. We officially met there and uh, yeah, we just grew a great friendship over that summer and just kept in touch after that summer. I mean, we both live in the same place, so I mean, after that, we hit together. We got basically the same work at work ethic. So, you know what I'm saying? We hit together, descended the third, took their friendship back home. Just we call each other during uh during our last year at school. When he was at West Virginia, I was at I was at Tech. We were both trying to get drafted. So, we we both went to the Cape Cod together, played on the same team there. 2022 summer, played on Katuit, uh Cavaliers, and then I mean, we've been cool ever since. Like the rest is history. Like that's my And bro. I I kind of under I kind of undersold it when I said <laughs> you guys led the miners in stolen bases this year you both got up right around the 100 bag mark 95 for for victor and 94 for chandler i think it was the first time since 
2005 that two players had stolen 90 or more bases in the minor leagues and you guys were aware of of that race mm-hmm. yeah definitely yeah, most, year. Year. Most definitely. for sure <laughs> i know i was aware of it yeah, i was I always kind of peeking in on where uh where chan was like throughout like the season and i'll call him because i remember like we first started and like i was in the lead and then it was, it was like over the halfway point and I, I guess Chan just started to started to run, started to take ample bases uh, at a time, and then his lead grew, and then like with both of us being like ultra competitors, I knew okay, like at one point I'm gonna have to catch him because it's gonna come down to it where if he wins, he's gonna have like bragging rights, but I want bragging rights, so it's kind of just like it's always like a friendly competition. Between I, I, I can't imagine people. not checking in on each other, especially since you know each other. Did you have to like? check yourself at times and make sure obviously this is a huge part of your game but you can't just run whenever you want to i mean i'm sure you pretty much have a green light unless you you guys tell me otherwise but was there any time that you're like man i I know i'm one behind chandler right now i I really want to go but like now's not a good opportunity did did, like the baseball get in the way of like just of of the stolen base race at all i said like like a little bit i mean sometimes i was like man I'm gonna just go to get this lead so I can stop, so I can go to sleep at night. Like, cause if, cause if I didn't, then I'm gonna think about it. He gonna call me. He gonna tell me he in the lead still. So sometimes I didn't care, but sometimes I had to be smart about it. So it was fifty fifty on it. Kind of, I'm like, uh, I was kind of like the same way with me being like in the passenger seat in the in the race for the most of the part, like majority of the season. Um, I would like go into like my manager's office and like I would study the pitchers. Because like before, early in the season, like when I was in high A, I would just go. And then I would have the upper hand because I guess speed would help me in that in that case. And then as I got to double A, catcher started to like really catch and throw well. And then pitcher started slide stepping. So I would go in my manager's office and like look at the videos on tendencies and try to see like if I could get the upper hand in this race somehow. I mean, because <laughs> Chan is probably one of the faster guys I've ever met. So... I knew he was going to keep going, but like I needed something to kind of give me an edge to to keep going myself. Definitely sometimes it was times that somebody's in front of you and you're like looking at them like, hey, can you please steal so we can double steal? <laughs> or or, um, or, or the, the pitcher slide step and catcher has a good arm. So, I mean, it's just, it's always like some Now, it sounds to me, it, Chandler, sure. that Vic, what Victor is saying between the lines there is that his degree of difficulty was much higher in double-A. So, the, his one stolen base lead is actually much bigger than that. Do you care to respond? <laughs> <laughs> I, I do care to respond. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to say the degree of difficulty was better, but... We have to take into the fact he had a hundred more abs than me, and thirty more games played. So I mean, I'm not, I'm not making excuses, but you know what I'm saying I'm just letting that be known. And every time we gonna get to arguing this off season, I'm gonna bring that the up. Math every is time. mathing on that one. I think that that's all. You, yeah, there you go. Yeah, one hundred and fifteen more plate appearances, Chandler. If you want to uh, use that number. <laughs> you feel me? So that's that's fifty more bags for me for sure. Hey, the more the more energy you give this guy, he's gonna use it. You gotta kind of keep it. Well, I want to go back to that that Fond du Lac team because you guys were talking about how you know you knew of each other, you had mutual friends. So I'm sure you had scouting reports on each other. But whoever wants to take this first, just kind of give what the scouting report. What did you learn about the other guy during that summer with the Doc Spider? Uh, I guess I'll uh, I'll go first. Um, so what I like as in terms, of, yeah, like, what I learned yeah. about Chan, you had heard Chan about him. Before, but now getting play, getting to play next to him all. 
Yeah. So like definitely hearing about him before I heard like when I was coming up there that there was a guy named Chandler Simpson on the team and he's faster than you. And I was like, uh, are, like I don't think anybody's faster than me, but I, I'll see. So end up meeting him. We ended up like kind of just growing like this, this bond. And he was like, hey man, like you, when you go to the gym and I'm like a big like gym goer and write the own, write my own little plans and everything like that. So he was like, when you go to the gym, I'll work you. And I was like, huh, wait a minute. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, that's not going. All right. So then we end up just like working out in the gym Work ethic, his work ethic is second to none. And then got on the field and then his performance was like showing. So like, as he started to perform, it's like, I almost like started to perform as well. So we both like started trending in the upward direction and kind of made our a, a na- made a name for ourselves like in that summer. So um, playing next to him was just, was awesome. It was like, he was the one, he was the leadoff guy. I was the two old guy. And in some cases, in some games, it would be like, he, he would, <laughs> He would get on first, and then, like, I would bunt, get on second. We would double steal, and then um, Jackson Lofton, which is also on that stolen base list, he would hit a single, and the score would be 2-0 to zero within five minutes of the game. So it was almost <laughs> – it was, like, one of the craziest experiences being able to play with a with a guy of the same caliber player as, like, who, who I was and, and who I am becoming. So. I can't believe we've uh, gotten even eight, nine minutes into this conversation and haven't actually asked yet. Who is faster? I mean, you sure Has there you been guys a race? Surely you've raced, right? <laughs> yeah, like like yeah, head to like head to head races or 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 with, with the with the stopwatch or how does that work? <laughs> yeah, no, I hit like ready, set, go. Have somebody down there, yeah, with hand like in a T. And, and what's the, ver- the what's the verdict? Hurt. Yeah, but it's been a couple of times. I'm gonna I'll say this. I'll say this. <laughs> I'll, say this, I'll say this i'll say this it's been a 50 50 split as the who has won in a straight line race who has won in a turn of cone race who has won in a, oh, so you guys have done all, all different kinds of races split. most of the time i yeah no, it's Chandler, can you confirm <laughs> the 50 50 split because it's one thing for victor to say it i, I want to hear you confirm that it's a 50 50 split I'm going to say 5149. Victor got in so quick but, to say it was 50 50. That's crazy. That's crazy. <laughs> I'm going to say 50. It's close. It's very close. Like, it could be It could be on anybody's any given day. Like, his best day, my best this, day. This has got to be a reality so, show where you guys just do every kind of race imaginable. Do any of these races uh, yeah. exist on video? No, we're, we're going to have to make that. Yeah, not, I don't know if we have anything on video. I mean, they. It might be a couple, honestly, because we train we train together in the off season for a couple of months, and like in training, we would do like a lot of cone drills and vertical jumps and broad jumps. So it, it's it's definitely somewhere out there. Pretty, I'm pretty so sure. you know, right now Victor's one up on Chandler. It seems as if that's it. However, we found out before we started recording it. And you're getting the opportunity to go up to AAA, mostly to pick the brain of Billy Hamilton, who just joined Durham not that long ago. There is an off chance that if uh, the need arises, you could get activated. How much will you be just jawing at the manager trying to get yourself activated so you can beat Victor? I would be like a dog wanting a treat. Like, I would be... I'm like, okay, let's go. I'm going first pitch, second pitch. I'm going to third. Get this in all, in like, all seriousness, just, what do so. you think the opportunity is going to be like for you to be able to 
pick the brain of someone like Billy Hamilton, who I'm sure both of you sort of looked up to in terms of him being able to do what you guys are so good at. I don't want to, we need to talk about things other than speed. We don't want to make it sound like you're just one dimensional players, but obviously it's a huge dimension. But what is, what is it going to be like for you to be able to kind of be in his presence and, and see how he goes about it for a week? Yeah, it's going to be an amazing opportunity. I mean, I used to watch Billy Hamilton highlights before my high school games, my college games. I watched them during the season. It's going to be a little hard not even fanboy him. At, I'm going to be, have to keep my calm when I meet him. But, yeah, like it's going to be amazing to pick his brand. I mean, he obviously stole 155 bags in one season at AA. So I'm, I'm, that's going to be the first question I ask him. What was he trying to do when he stole all those bags? But, now that's an amazing opportunity for me to get information from a, a really great base dealer. Been in the big leagues, uh, stole a lot of bags in the big leagues as well. So it's a great opportunity. I'm going to take, take it. And kind of picking up what uh, Jonathan was just asking about there in terms of the rest of your guys' game, because this was each of your first full seasons in minor league ball, getting the chance to play 100-plus games in pro ball. has to be an eye-opening experience. What did you guys learn about yourself uh, through playing from spring training all the way to now? You go ahead first, Jack. All right. Um, what I learned, well, I learned, well, from the base dealing standpoint, for it get out of the way, um, it's a lot of components to stealing, just uh, like catcher's time, pitcher's time to the plate, the count, uh, score, situation of the game, who's in front of me, who's hitting behind me, uh, who's up to the plate, the pitcher's move, holes, time clock, it's, I could go on, so... Uh, it's a lot in that aspect. Um, I learned that it's a long season that, I mean, you could have a couple bad weeks, but then the game can even out. It's kind of be steady. You can't be up and down. You kind of kind of just stay level-headed, stay mentally strong. Uh, the mental part is way bigger than the physical part. And I learned about I learned a lot about nutrition and stretching and getting myself ready for the game, therapy, things like that. So, Victor, what about you? A lot of kind of what I learned was just, uh, well, it's going to be a lot more, a lot more than this, but like, kind of leaning on my friends at times that it's like, because I mean, it's a long season, so it kind of gets difficult being like away from family, away from loved ones. So like a lot of the times I would call Chan or anybody who else is like in the system, um, I would call them and just kind of like pick their brain on like how they were doing, if they were okay. Because I mean, like Chan said, mentally, the game can be exhausting. So it's just kind of like, how do you make that time feel like a little bit shorter? I know for me personally, like I like to go fish and I like to bowl. So I would go do those things on my off days and kind of just get away from the game in a sense. I know uh, on, in terms of baseball, though, I learned just kind of being as consistent as possible. I mean, that translates into everyday life as well. Just kind of being a good person and going about your routine or kind of whatever you like to do, implement that within a day to day basis and just kind of just be the best version of you every day is kind of what I try to do. So, yeah, it's pretty much. Chan, I'll let Chan have too. all the baseball stuff. <laughs> Learn some Spanish, too. You feel me? Hey, uh, Victor, Jonathan wants to know if you're a Mookie Betts level baseball bowler. <laughs> he's, yeah. he's really good. I mean, Mookie Betts, so, is, he's yeah. up there. He's up there. He's he's really, really good. But, I mean, I would say, I would say I'm up there. I bowled the highest game I there bowled was a 232. You're not better than me. So okay, yeah, all right. Look, me me and Chan. Oh really? We also bowl together. So, yeah, so the competition runs through bowling, basketball, ping pong, um, whatever you <laughs> whatever whatever. Yeah, really let me guess. Is your is oh, your high two thirty three? 
Nah, actually, he I would. He hasn't reached. He hasn't reached okay, two hundred. Right. Yeah, yeah, I haven't even reached two hundred. Yeah, yeah. I'm, <laughs> I was just playing. I'm not as good as Vic, but I'm uh, on the way though. I'm you mentioned basketball, and I, I was going to ask. I was curious for both of you at what point you chose baseball because you know you both have the blazing speed, which you know obviously can be put to use in baseball, but doesn't necess- isn't necessarily the golden ticket in, in baseball you you can't steal first base you got to be able to hit you got to be able to do other things you know straight speed might translate better to football or to you know potentially to basketball track and field i know victor both your parents uh, ran track and field in college at what point did you guys choose baseball and how did that come about yeah um so i played I actually played basketball all the way up until my sophomore year of high school. I was on the JV team and then I was on varsity with baseball. And I remember my dad sitting me down at the table and he said, um, what do you feel like you have more of like a, a career in? What do you see a future in? And then I, I mean, I said baseball, he said baseball. So at that point, I then just kind of put basketball aside. If you would have told 15 year old, 14 year old me, what did you want to do? I would have said, I want to go to the NBA. But um, of course, I mean, I'm not a six six point guard, <laughs> so. I mean, at the most, I'm five eleven. So baseball was my baseball was my route that um, both me and my dad kind of decided upon. It was like a family decision almost. So yeah, it was like it was basically the same thing for me. Uh, I stopped playing my freshman year after my freshman year. Honestly, I felt like I was good, but I mean, I was on the freshman team at the time, and I knew it wasn't any future. I was in high school. I was maybe five six, five seven. So. I knew it wasn't anything there, and I've been playing. I've been taking baseball serious anyway. So, and I felt like at that time I was trying to see if I could get into college, some scholarships, and baseball was the best choice. So, just focused well, on now that. that you're in baseball, I want to ask you guys. Obviously, the the rules have shifted lately and and would seem to be advantageous for guys who can get on base, can do things with their their legs, you know, especially, you know, with the ending of the the shifts and and rules that have been going on in the minors for a little bit in terms of, you know, amount of times pitchers can throw over and things like that. When when you see those things happening, even at the big league level, does that get you guys even more motivated because you're realizing that maybe there's going to be more of of a return back to valuing what you guys do best? Yeah, most most definitely. I know, like, at least in my organization, it came from or it was derived from like a speed related. Like, we had like the Vince Coleman's, the Willie McGee's. So the majority, like, and then we kind of ran away from like the speed component. So now that those rules, those new rules are implemented, it allows guys like me and and Chandler to kind of bring that exciting way of baseball back to the ML, back to the show, for lack of a better word. All right, we are talking to Cardinals number four prospect Victor Scott and Tampa Bay Rays number 21 prospect Chandler Simpson, the two stolen base leaders in the minor leagues this year. Uh, Victor with 95 of them, caught 14 times. Chandler with 94, caught 15 times. Guys, since we have you on together, we wanted to, uh, we, we can't have you race, but we did, we wanted to have some sort of race. Uh, what, what are we going to do here, Jonathan? You know, I originally I thought maybe some tongue twisters, but maybe just the alphabet. All right, l- let's do it. Let's uh, let's see who can say the alphabet fastest. I'll count you down. You guys, should, say, I, get a stop, should I get my stopwatch out? Yeah. You can do that. You, you got it right there, handy. All right. Well, I've got you know I've got the one on my phone. <laughs> you know, I'm not. It's not like that. All right, I'll I'll give I'm you guys. Run a 60. I'll, I'll give you guys the ready, set, go. <laughs> what? So they just got to do it do separately, it. right? I mean, they can't do it at the same time. Oh, I thought. Well, they 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 race head to head. Well, all right. I mean, all right. Here all we right. here we go. <laughs> we don't even need the stopwatch. All right, <laughs> sure. 
Ready, set, go. Z. I'm calling that a tie. I agree. If somebody wants to like slow down the audio, I think Chandler may have skipped a few letters. I'm just saying. I don't know how many discernible individual letters there were there. That sounded like, like way, one I mean, five-second <laughs> hum with a zzz on the end of it. That was in like three point one seconds, by the way. So that's I think that's good. Yeah, we'll, we'll have hurt. the uh, we'll we'll see if our producers can slow that down and and uh, identify some actual letters in there. <laughs> hey guys, thanks thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate it, Victor. Good luck in the playoffs, and uh, Chandler, have a great time. Uh, make the most of your your time with uh, Billy Hamilton there, and uh, continued success to both of you. All right. Well, Thank you. Appreciate it. We're going to take a break. Come Thank back. Got a bunch me. more to go on the MLB Pipeline podcast. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline podcast. Jason Ratliff, Sam Dykstra, Jonathan Mayo, special guests, Victor Scott and Chandler Simpson. Those guys are fantastic. All right. Let's, uh, the season is winding down. We are into the minor league playoffs uh, at the single A and double A levels. Uh, headed there next week for triple A and... Uh, Wow, we've seen some very interesting promotions as of late. I mean, th- this whole year, but especially in the in the second half. I mean, we've we've seen so many very aggressive promotions. Uh, we joked that everybody was at Double A. We're seeing teenagers at Double A don't see often. Now we're seeing some. We're going to see a teenager at Triple A. Well, we already have in in Jackson Holiday, Jackson Churio. Going to join them. So our top two prospects in baseball, teenagers at AAA, something you do not see often. Wyatt Langford, 2023 draft pick, also not something you see very often. And uh, Jack Leiter going with him. It's been an interesting, well, I was going to say year, professional career to this point, really, for for Leiter. Been so up and down. But here he is at AAA. He's been better since he's been off the, the development list. And then also Mick Abel, the Phillies pitching prospect. I was going to say top pitching prospect, but behind Andrew Painter, who we haven't seen this year uh, out for a while, Tommy John surgery. Mick Abel also bumping up to AAA. These are these are all very exciting uh, promotions here, guys. It's an interesting array, I think, you know, and I, I think it's one of the things I didn't really totally think of when, you know, the schedules were tiered the way they are you know having this extra week of regular season at AAA provides this great opportunity whoever you want to you know bring up and give them get their feet wet or you know even like Chandler Simpson just told us you know even if you're just going up and hanging out you know and learning from guys in AAA and he's, he's learning from from Billy Hamilton and I know we're all we'll all be secretly hoping he can get activated for that last week but you know in a lot of ways all those like there's we could talk about any of those you know is really exciting jack lighter is the one that really kind of fascinates me the most you know which may sound strange we've got a teenager now in triple a our top two prospects teenagers in triple a uh, another first round pick from this draft reaching triple a but i was beginning to worry about what jack lighter might be and while this very small sample since his return is not enough for me to you know jump full in and you know pound the table that he's got to be you know back on our top 100 or anything like that i think it's really encouraging what he was able to do you know in terms of you know kind of retooling and using it and this is a nice little like hey you put in a lot of work behind the scenes to kind of write the ship this is a a nice little reward i'm excited to see him you know hopefully he he 
gets out there, makes a start, and maybe you know this is the beginning of Jack the Jack Lighter redemption arc that we didn't know we needed. But uh, it's like I, I to me he's kind of the most intriguing of that that group. Yeah, I mean, when you look at what Jack Lighter has done after coming off the development list, um, the numbers say one thing, but also if you look at his delivery, there's some video on on Twitter or X of this, and he's kind of simplified his delivery. I mean, I always go back to a, a saying my dad always said when I was growing up is that the more parts there are to something, the more likely it is to break because there's just something, there's too many things going on. One thing breaks, the whole thing gets set off. And he used to put his hands over his head in his delivery. Now he doesn't do that as much. And that simplification seems to have really worked for him. Now it's going to be a test at AAA. You're going to be using a different ball. You're going to be going up against more advanced hitters. He's only getting one start there. Maybe more. I mean, Round Rock right now sits atop the Pacific Coast League second half standing. So there's a, the potential for him to make a postseason start for Round Rock as well, depending on how this week goes. They're only up a game right now. Uh, but it's a great test. It's, a, it's an opportunity not just to, for him to be rewarded, but to say like, hey, let's see if – this is really sticking or if we need to continue to work on it going into the off season. And hopefully, you know, he'll, he'll be back in the PCL to begin next year. Um, but once you're there, you're pushing for the major leagues and you got to really round off your, your profile um, kind of sticking with the, with that team though. I think the one I'm most excited about is, is Wyatt Langford because, you know, this will be now his fourth level of 2023. He was just drafted, just being the fourth overall pick. He's seen rookie ball. He's seen, uh, high A, seen double A, now he's at at triple A. And part of that is because, like you were saying, Jonathan, the tiered system, if you want Wyatt Langford playing baseball, this is the only place left, except for the majors. Um, so getting him that extra work, he certainly earned it. He was the Texas League Player of the Week last year. What I'm fascinated by is he's not just hitting the ball hard and he's not just you know taking advantage of playing an Amarillo, which is a launching pad to put up special numbers last week. His swings have been really fantastic. I mean, he he's not swinging and missing very much. He's walking more than he struck out at double A. His approach that he showed at Florida is carried almost seamlessly to the minor second highest level. So triple A is going to be another test of that. But guess what? I, even if like Round Rock misses the playoffs, you know what else is still in a playoff hunt? It's the Rangers. Like the Rangers are are sitting there on the cusp, you know, right behind the, the Astros in the AL West, trying to hold off the Mariners and the Blue Jays in the AL wildcard. I know they already brought up Evan Carter. Come on. White Langford's one of, yeah, I want to see it too. You know, he is one of the hottest hitters in the minors and he continually passes every test. Like if you have that big of a bat, use him. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but they're keeping him fresh. They're keeping the option open. And that's, that's really exciting. Headline of this podcast will be Sam Dykstra predicts Wyatt Langford comes to the big leagues. <laughs> Sam Dykstra pre- pre- predicts a stone cold lock that we will see Wyatt Langford in Texas in uh, 2020. That's not exactly what I'm saying. I'm just saying that the option is still open. And as long as that door is open, I'm going to be excited about it. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I am, I think I ran this by you guys. Very curious to know how, how often, if ever a player has played at five levels in, in a season, because if we were to see Langford get to the big leagues, uh, which is uh, which Sam just guaranteed um, that would be five levels this year in and not even in, not even in a full season either obviously just drafted in July so five levels in two months unreal Sam you just saw Jackson Churio just before he got promoted man another another Jackson another teenage Jackson at AAA uh, but your uh, thoughts on Churio's promotion yeah, I mean, this is more from a place of 
there's a week left. Biloxi, I got to see them at the MLB Pipeline Game of the Month over the weekend on Saturday. Biloxi just missed out on a Southern League playoff spot. And Churio is somebody who you just want getting more at-bats. I mean, this is only going to be one week in Nashville. It's just getting him a little bit more exposure. He's going to open up there next year anyways. He spent all of this year at AA Biloxi. So this is just rewarding your top prospect, getting him that chance. I mean, there have been only two age 19 players to reach AAA this year, as you mentioned, Jason. The other one is Jackson Holiday. Now we have a second. It's Jackson Churio. There are top two overall prospects. You look at what Jackson Churio has done in the second half. Since he got back from the Futures game, he's hit 323, slugged 544, has 11 homers and 20 steals in 51 games. His 70 hits and 118 total bases both ranked third in AA over that span. So he got hot in the second half. He made some really good adjustments, was striking out less. Uh, the speed is always going to play. He's a 20-40 guy in the minor leagues. This is not a case. I know you know the Brewers are very much in a postseason hunt, too. I don't think they're bringing him up, keeping him fresh for the majors. I think they have too many other options. Garrett Mitchell's coming back from Milwaukee. I think this is just him getting another week of baseball. Um, but you know, I think if Biloxi had one out the week and they were playing in the Southern League postseason, we wouldn't see this. We would see Trurio sure. playing for a ring for a team that he's played with all year. Uh, and I think the other, the other guy who would have moved would have been Junior Caminero from Montgomery, who is still – his team punched their postseason ticket. I think he would have gone to Durham if he wasn't playing this week. But the way it worked out was Cheerio gets that call. Um, he's going to be back in the International League next year. I'm excited to see what he can do. You know, he can do a lot of things. Even if he goes, you know, one for 15 this week, he can still s- steal bags. He can yep. still play a really quality center field. Um, there's a lot of things Jackson Cheerio can do. But even to get to this level, the Brewers have not done this. They do not call up guys this aggressively. But he – they clearly think they have something in him, and it's shown. So I am looking forward to the questions that will come. You know, that happened with Jackson Holiday. Won't the Orioles call him up? So I, I always enjoy being the pump the brakes guy on social media when you're waiting for Brewers fans to be like, "What? They should call Jackson Churio up to uh, to the big leagues." <laughs> I wanted to, to sort of talk briefly about Mick Abel because we we haven't like talked about him that much, and and while he is ranked behind Andrew Painter, he is the best healthy pitching prospect in the Phillies organization. And you know, the overall numbers are, they're good. They're not great. You know, the, the command still needs work, but he'd been pitching really, really well of lately. And since, you know, in, in September, he had two starts and he just gave up one run over 11 innings. But even since the beginning of August, the ERA is 329 and the batting average against is 165 with a 622 OPS against. He'd been very, very good over the seven starts. And one of those was a total stinker. He gave up eight runs in five innings. He take that out, and all those numbers look much even better. So this is a guy who has earned a bump up. And, again, it's probably going to be a one-start kind of thing, I would imagine, to get his feet wet in AAA. You know, although I wouldn't mind seeing him in a Phillies uh, bullpen down the stretch for wild card, but I don't think that's going to happen. But I'm, you know, excited to see what he can do. I, I've still really high on on his upside have been you know had been a little bit surprised at the command issues he's had early on in his career considering that was kind of not his profile in high school but part of the reason why it's so hard to evaluate high school pitching prospects there's a nice up arrow next to his name and wanted to give him a little credit for that all right so final week of the triple a season should be have some added excitement due to these promotions and we've got our playoffs underway at single a and double a so a lot of action going on over the next couple of weeks that we'll be 
keeping our eye on and uh, also keeping an eye on the big leagues. We want to talk about our latest rookie power rankings, always a source of much, much debate, consternation among fans of various teams. But uh, as a reminder, these power rookie power rankings uh, are done such that we are ranking the rookies uh, according to their likelihood to win Rookie of the Year. Now, Corbin Carroll has been at the top of this list uh, going all the way back to our preseason list. Um, we ranked him number one in the preseason list, and he has certainly done nothing warrant consideration to be moved from that spot, and he remains there. Going into our voting yesterday, it was staring at a possible 25-50 That's season good, right? <laughs> as a rookie. Uh, unbelievable. Uh, 859 OPS, 24 homers, 47 stolen bases. Guy's just been absolutely outstanding. Uh, going back to our preseason ranking, number two on that list was Gunnar Henderson, uh, who has certainly not had the season that Corbin Carroll has, but he's in the American League, and that looks to be a tighter Rookie of the Year race than the National League one. I think yes, although it was hard as we were voting on this, and you know, personally, to then think because I originally went in. I think Jason I even told you this. I was like, yeah, yeah, I don't know that he's like the slam dunk guy, and but then I wasn't sure who to put next you know the other guys have had good years he certainly has come on strong on a team that uh, is headed to the playoffs and played every day and he does a lot of things that go well beyond the stat line so that's why i think that's why he ended up in the in the number two spot uh and i still think is probably the favorite to win american league rookie of the year honors um you know although there are some other guys i wish tenor bybee hadn't gotten hurt i'm a fan uh, not just because I talked to him in spring training, but uh, I, I just, uh, you know, I like the way he goes about it. So, I, I, you know, I think if he had a full season of major league starts under his belt, maybe it would be, you know, maybe he'd have a higher, I don't know. Sam, do you think there's anybody else who uh, warrants consideration for American League Rookie of the Year? No, Tristan Casas had a lot of momentum uh, going into, you know, this final month of the season too, but he's out injured. I think the Red Sox have ruled out him coming back uh, this season. So that, that certainly hurts his rookie of the year candidacy because yeah. he's not going to be building on his numbers. And he got off to such a slow start that again, if you're looking at the entire year, I know Gunnar Henderson got off to a slow start too, but Casas was especially slow. He came roaring on in the second half. And I think if he had a little bit more playing time uh, here down the stretch, he could have helped those numbers and, and made it a little closer. But uh, for me, I think just Gunnar Henderson, the role he's played for those Orioles and the way he has come on and looked very much like the guy we thought he would be coming into the spring. I won't say it's head and shoulders, but maybe a head (laughs) above everybody else. Yeah, it's probably not even so much that it's that the race in the American League is much closer than it is in the National League. It's just that Henderson hasn't run away like like Corbin Carroll has. Although, you know. Yeah, I was going to say Kodai Senga has been really, really good of late for the Mets and uh, you know he wasn't somebody we ranked because he wasn't prospect eligible but he is rookie eligible yeah and that ghost fork it has to be one of the five best pitches in baseball this year I mean it's the way he's been getting whiffs on it the last couple starts it's been really exceptional and I, again I don't think he's going to catch Corbin Carroll like the war is not there um, but it's you know he's been something it's those are pretty clear one two for me 
you know. Yeah, and uh, Carroll and, and Henderson one two among rookies and total bases, not that far off two sixty two and and two fifty five. Uh, you know, you look at the slash lines between the two and Carroll two seventy nine three fifty eight five hundred one for an eight fifty nine OPS, uh, whereas Henderson is two fifty eight three twenty seven four ninety eight. Uh, for an 825 OPS. But uh, yeah, I mean, going back to the start of the season, we we had these guys 1-2 in the preseason ranking, and uh, they're right there. The guy that we had number three in the preseason ranking uh, was Jordan Walker, who fell out of the rookie pro- rookie power rankings. You know, he, he got off to the fast start, then got sent down, was down for a while, and came back and we we put him back at the back end of the rookie power rankings. Uh, he was 10th in June, thought maybe he's got enough time to make up ground, get back in the race. And, and he has played well, um, probably not to the point where he'll get much, if any, consideration for rookie of the year voting, but uh, he has performed. But as for uh, the rest of this most recent power rankings, uh, Matt McClain was fourth on the list. Tanner Bybee, you mentioned, Jonathan Fifth, uh, Tristan Casas, Sam, you mentioned, next. And uh, one of the guys down the line who you have to feel like if he'd gotten more playing time would have been right up there is Royce Lewis, who has just been fantastic. He seems to hit a grand slam every other day. Uh, I, admit, I know that's not right, but it just uh, he's been coming up big as the you know the Twins uh, make sure that they head to the to the postseason. We, we've all talked to him before, and I'm, I can't be happier for any young player. I just hope he can stay healthy because he he is not carrying the offense, but he's such a huge part of that offense now. And I do think, yeah, if he had, if he had been there all year, I, I think it would be, could very well be a tighter race. You know, you don't want to extrapolate too much from what's a relatively smaller sample size, but he has been playing so well that I could see a couple of people sneaking him onto the, to the back end of a rookie of the year. Uh, ballot just because of the impact he's had since he's come back. Not that this affects things in any way, but do you, you know his splits with the bases loaded for his career very, in the major leagues? Very yeah, he's got like uh, more home runs than than outs. Is that possible? It, it, yeah. Uh, well, it's equal. He's 7 for 12 with 5 homers <laughs> yeah. with the bases loaded in his career. His, he is slugging 1.833. It's insane. Yeah, it's I mean, crazy. the guy is... is not e- not even Babe Ruth, like past Babe Ruth, past Barry Bonds. You might want to consider walking <laughs> him with the bases loaded if you see him in that situation. Like, it's 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 insane. It's obviously small sample stuff, but wow. still, for a young guy who's had injury problems, doesn't have that many reps in the majors yet to continually keep coming up so clutch has been so fun to see for Minnesota. Yeah, I, I saw his most recent home run pop up, and then I saw that the bases weren't loaded, and it was like a slight letdown. <laughs> he only homered. Was not a grand slam. Uh, well, this uh, rookie power rankings conversation leads nicely into our mailbag question, which comes from at bgreen484 on Twitter slash X. Uh, says, now that they both have over a full season of MLB ABs under their belts, would you still rank Gunner 1 and Carroll 2, or would you flip them? Now, we, we just ranked them Carroll 1, Gunner 2, for rookie power rankings for this season. Uh, well, this will be a fun one for Jim when he does his long-term rookie rankings this year. Uh, maybe you guys can uh, give him a little fodder now. I don't think I would flip them. I mean, you certainly can make the case 
to you know to to do that. I just I think it's very close. And when we ranked them one two, we knew it was close. We knew both of them had touched the big leagues the year before. We got a sense of what they were they're going to be able to do. So I I, I think I might stick with the order that we had maybe it's stubbornness i i, I don't really know you know they both do things on both sides of the ball I, I i don't know maybe i can be convinced sam do you want to convince me that we should flip them no i mean i was gonna agree with you and say i i would keep them um i think the clear advantage that corbin carroll has is that he is a faster runner but gunner henderson's no slow guy either i mean his sprint speed percentile is 86th uh, Corbin Carroll's is 99, so it, it, can't, it can't go much higher than that. He's one of the fastest players in the major leagues. And if not for Ellie De La Cruz, you can make the case where he is the fastest. But I think what gives Gunner the edge for me is that I think he's going to be a slightly better hitter uh, long term. He doesn't or yeah, he doesn't chase as much as Corbin Carroll. Uh, his chase rate is 26.5%. Corbin Carroll's is 27.8, which isn't terrible, but it's much closer to average. Uh, his barrel rate is 11.8%. Corbin Carroll's is 7.5. So Corbin Carroll like has more strength than I think a lot of people thought he would coming into pro ball, being a guy who's five foot ten and 165 pounds, and that five foot ten might be, uh, you know adding an inch or two but the way that Gunnar Henderson has improved with the bat this year he's a year younger the toughest thing to do in baseball is to hit a ball and I think he's going to do it a little bit more consistently now Carroll can catch up in terms of long-term value with his ability to run and you know he's playing out, outfield he can take advantage uh, of that speed out there and he's certainly been at least a plus if not a plus plus defender in the outfield this year for the D-backs I just I believe in Gunnar Henderson's bat just a little bit more uh, than Corman Carroll, and that would give me the, the crazy thing is, is I was, you know according to Baseball Reference, Gunnar Henderson had a higher WAR than Corman Carroll this year. Yeah, six to five. Yeah, uh, I'm not really sure about how effective defensive WAR is. Uh, Corman Carroll's got a negative defensive WAR this year, which seems odd to me. But but yeah, uh, and again, not that I would determine it based on this year alone. I think it's going to be a fun conversation to have and to to continue to look at the two of them as the guys who are one, two and see where they're at as we, as we move along, Bryce Harper, Mike Trout for, for a little bit, you know, I think it'll be fun to, to watch them develop because, you know, as, as Sam pointed out, they're, they're both still so young. We don't know exactly what they're going to become. It could, it could change uh, just because there's, you know, there's still development there, even though they're doing crazy good things in the big leagues. Yeah, let's get a Arizona Baltimore 2025 World Series. Sure. Let's put that debate on the big stage. Let's do it that way. Another guarantee from have, Sam. Why do we have to wait Another until guarantees. Save this why podcast do we have to wait until 2025? Reasons. Why can't that be next year? I don't I, that's a good question. We can go 2024, why not? Why why not back to back? <laughs> wow, he's making crazy things. I said 2025, yeah. All right. Well, thanks for uh, to bgreen484 for that question and thanks very much to Victor Scott and Chandler Simpson for joining us on the show today. Uh, Jonathan, you want to take us out? I do. Uh, for those people who are not uh, aware, uh, it, it is the Jewish New Year, and it is uh, typically uh, signified with uh, the shofar blast. Um, so I'm going to I'm going to take us out. This is a semi-regular occurrence on the podcast. We've done it before at least once, so that, that makes it semi-regular. Here we go. Happy New Year, everybody. Nice. 
Nicely done, Jonathan. That's a wrap for this week's MLB Pipeline podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next week.